sing as one for this country we're walking on we stand together to protect this land for the future we're hand in hand welcome to another episode of the environmental as anything podcast Warning. The following program may contain traces of irony, sarcasm, satire, parody, mockery, banter, caricature, and nuts. The opinions expressed are almost certainly not shared by self-appointed officious dictatorial wowsers. If you are dangerously irony deficient or allergic to mockery of the self-important and corrupt, then get a life. And this program you have joined this afternoon is environmental as anything. Thank you for being here with me today. I'm Sean O'Shaughnessy and um, I'm going to do my best to bring you uh, all the news, analysis, and actions that... uh, I've been able to find from the last week for our planet Earth. So, uh, welcome to the show. It's a great pleasure to be with you again. This is Bunjalung Country. We are very proud and happy to say thank you to the Bunjalung Nation and the Widjibal Wyabal people of uh, the Northern Rivers for their hospitality uh, and uh, keep allowing us to stay here in their land. Uh, even in spite of the terrible uh, depredations which have been practised and the damage that has been done, uh, I'm sorry for the mess and uh, doing my best to help clean up where I can uh, with all of you. So uh, thank you to the Widgibal Wyable people. Thank you also, of course, to um, Monkey and the Fish for our uh, opening sound track, our music as ever the wonderful Hand in Hand. And uh, thank you to all the contributors uh, for to the show. This show today is uh, not just a, 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 a... It's not a one-man show. It's lots of uh, one men and women involved. And, uh, yes, looking forward to speaking to... Kate Corey is going to be joining us over the phone. Kate is a Byron Shire councillor. And Kate will be talking to us about uh, the Byron Shire Council's recent uh, motion passed uh, in regard to the koala SEP, the recently passed uh, koala killer SEP, as I'm calling it. It's the follow-up to the koala killer bill that the uh, New South Wales Berejiklian government failed to ram through the New South Wales Parliament, and their response was to come up with a heap of regulations which stripped away protections for uh, koalas in the bush. Not in the city, Fortunately, those, uh, uh, you know, the inner city latte-sipping woke koala population can rest at ease, but those that live in the bush uh, have had, uh, on private land, have had all their protections, the meagre protections that they had stripped away. Well, Byron Shire Council and many of the councillors uh, throughout this uh, region are not sitting idly by for that. They're not going to sit still for it. They are determined to do what they can, many of them, most of them, to protect their koala populations. Koala population is a huge asset. Uh, to each uh, local government area and, uh, you know, rapidly on the path to extinction. So Kate will be coming in uh, to join us soon, uh, you know, at the, within the next half hour to talk through uh, what Byron Shire Council is going to be doing about that in the, uh, the medium term. Also uh, met up with uh, Maggie this morning from uh, the Make Peace movement. And uh, she was uh, handing around at the at, this is at the, uh, the 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 Lismore farmers markets. I met up with uh, Maggie and Miriam, 
And uh, Miriam's been on the show previously uh, from Make Peace, but uh, Maggie's from Brisbane and talking about the Disrupt Land Forces uh, at the Brisbane Convention Centre on June 1st to 3rd, 2021. And they're having a meeting here in Lisbon at Lismore at Sea Space at 5.30 today. So Maggie was pretty keen to come in. Um, hopefully I'll hear from Maggie sometime in the next half hour. I haven't uh, absolutely nailed that down, but we're hoping to hear from Maggie and uh, talk more about, uh, you know, the arms trade in Australia. Uh, a killer of an expo is the uh, is the headline, and uh, yeah, anyway, so we'll we'll hopefully have a uh, talk to Maggie later on. Also, um, got uh, stories from well, lots of stories from all over the place. We've got a story on the National Toxics Network Roundup in Australia. Uh, that was uh, Joe Imig from the National Toxics Network speaking to Julie Beasley from Eco Futures. And as regular listeners will know, I've been working with Eco Futures on Bay FM, sharing content between the two shows, trying to spread the joy. And uh, they've done a great story here on the National Toxic Network and uh, the effects of glyphosate and uh, the potential impact here on the Northern Rivers. So uh, that's uh, that's a great uh, local story to look forward to. Also got uh, a story from uh, Bay FM also on uh, from David Ritter, who is the uh, uh, CEO of Greenpeace. We've had uh, David Ritter on the show previously. He's talking about how Australia is dragging the chain on the decarbonisation process and comparing our process of decarbonisation to that of other uh, developed countries around the world. So he's speaking to Dion Green from Make a Change uh, from BayFM and Dion's very uh, kindly shared uh, that story with us here. We'll be having the Eco News Bulletin from the Community Newsroom, uh, courtesy of Mira Mataj. Of course, we also have uh, the illuminating Naomi Shine coming in to shed some light on the local events and actions coming up this week so that, uh, you know, from the perspective of the Lismore Environment Centre, I should say thank you to the Lismore Environment Centre for its support of this uh, program and uh, we are very proud to be associated with that uh, great organisation here in Lismore. We'll be moving on to all of that soon. First, I have to get something off my chest, as I like to do each week if uh, if I'm a burning issue, and I must say that today... I was very annoyed. I think I've shared with you some of my difficulties in finding a sustainable uh, phone option. I don't think there is such a thing. In fact, at this point, we need regulations and uh, strong legislation for the right of repair and against uh, planned obsolescence. I've said it before and I'll probably have to say it again. Today, I encountered an example of this which left me infuriated, to be honest. Um, I bought a new phone after much trouble, troubling myself about the, the, the ins and outs of how to do that. Spent several hundred dollars, hundreds of dollars on this, this object, which was, you know, set up for my purposes, which amongst other things are media production. And uh, I've had it for two weeks now and uh, it was doing the things that I needed to, reasonably happy with it. And then I, it upgraded. It, it wanted to upgrade its operating system. That took quite a bit of time and downloaded a lot of data on the process. Did that uh, yesterday and 
Then today went to access the files that I normally access to be able to present the show to you and found that the function which has always worked, worked previously on my old phone uh, for years, worked on this phone up till yesterday, it has been upgraded out of existence. I can no longer access the files from my phone. I've got to say that whoever at Android spent the trouble, went to the trouble of making my phone less functional with this upgrade, I'm very glad that they weren't in the room with me today when I figured out what was going wrong because it is a disgusting abuse of power. It is a disgusting and disgraceful uh, waste of resources when they take a perfectly useful function of a device which is, you know, a super powerful computer, let's face it, and make it and dumb it down. They've nerfed it into the point where I feel like going back to them and demanding my money back. How dare they take a, a, something that I've bought for a purpose and then from a remote uh, location it inveigle me into agreeing to, to, to downgrade it and call it an upgrade. It's planned obsolescence gone mad. I'm absolutely uh, ropeable that, uh, that this could be the case. How do we live in a society where uh, you pay for one thing and then it gets de destroyed, essentially, by design, by uh, those who you've paid for it? If, if with any other object uh, did the same thing, it would be um, a, absolutely a matter for, for court action. But it seems just a routine – it seems to be a design feature. It's not a design flaw – as far as I can tell, this is a feature of their design strategy, which is to make their equipment less and less useful uh, rather than more and more useful. Anyway, ah, very annoying. I'm sure you've all experienced something similar. It's about time that we put a stop to this one way or another. We cannot continue to have our lives governed by these, let's face it, these are corporate fascists, these, these faceless soulless multinational corporations which strip us bare of our resources and deliver second-rate shoddy products which control our lives in so many ways. They promise so much and deliver so poorly in so many ways. It's, it is absolutely disgusting. I, I, I'm, I'm tempted to call it an evil. It's a, it seems like a, a bit of a white man's problem, but it's a, it's a global problem. Everybody in the world is being afflicted with this and it's, it's about time it was put to a stop, in my opinion. Anyway, there you go, for what it's worth, uh, is my opinion on the matter. Now, uh, I've got for you the Eco News from the Community Newsroom, read by Mia Armitage. Criticism over what's been dubbed the New South Wales Koala Bill continues, with local councils vowing to fight the government's new laws. Former PM Malcolm Turnbull blaming right-wing media for the New South Wales government's decision to sack him from its new climate advisory board. And the relatively new US government joins with the UAE in a new pledge focused on carbon emissions reductions as other Middle Eastern and African countries do the same. I'm Mia Armitage and I'm Marimbe Campbell with Eco News.
Starting today on the Northern Rivers, where the Tweed and Byron Shire councils have both recently voted to write to state parliamentarians outlining concerns over koala populations. The New South Wales government last month announced changes to laws that effectively strip local government of its power to rezone land as environmental. The SEP changes, as they're commonly referred to, protect farming and other private land from laws limiting land clearing at a time when scientists say koala habitat needs more protections. Evidence highlighted in a New South Wales parliamentary inquiry last year shows without such protection, koala populations in the state will most likely be extinct by 2050. Koala advocates say local governments have carefully mapped out where exactly koalas typically live in their regions and that the New South Wales Environment Minister, currently Matt Keane, has those maps stashed away in his office. For his part, Mr Keane has previously told River FM's environmental as anything he'd sign off on the maps and have koala habitat protected immediately if he could, but that it's a matter for the planning minister. The planning minister is Rob Stokes and the new SEP laws mean only he has the power to rezone environmental land as opposed to local government, which has been the way. Byronshire Council staff say the new laws so far lack detail and it's unclear how they'll work in relation to the years of work local governments in New South Wales have done studying koala habitat. Independent Byronshire Councillor Kate Corey has successfully moved for the Byronshire Council to write to the Minister requesting restoration of its power to rezone environmental land. Over in the Tweed Shire, the council has done the same after Mayor Chris Cherry added a last-minute mayoral minute to its most recent meeting agenda. The Tweed Shire is represented at a state level by a member of the governing coalition, Nationals member Jeff Provost. And so the council has also voted to write to him with their local concerns. No doubt we'll be hearing plenty more on what has been dubbed the New South Wales Koala killer bill in coming weeks as both local governments and environmentalists say they were caught off guard with the sudden change in law last month. Staying with state politics on the environment, the New South Wales government has sacked former Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull from his role as head of the new Net Zero Emissions and Clean Economy Board one week after announcing he had the job. The change in plan comes after days of attacks on Mr Turnbull's appointment from what he's referred to as the right-wing media ecosystem, including Nine's 2GB Radio and News Corp's Daily Telegraph. Energy and Environment Minister Matt Keane has released a statement saying the Net Zero Emissions and Clean Economy Board is supposed to create jobs in low-carbon industries and and see the state reduce its emissions in ways that grow the economy. Mr Keane says it's important the board focuses on achieving these outcomes based on facts, technology, science and economics and the focus shouldn't be on personality. Mr Turnbull had been calling for a moratorium on new coal mines or expansions in New South Wales. Political analysts say that call worried some in the coalition already concerned about the government's strength in the Upper Hunter electorate where there is a local coal industry. A scandal over lurid messages from former local Nationals member Mike 
Michael Johnson has led to his resignation and to a pending by-election. Mr Turnbull says he was never against jobs in the Hunter but rather backed the need to help coal miners find new work as the coal mining and coal burning industry faces inevitable decline. The former PM says he's disappointed by the state government's decision to sack him from the Climate Advisory Board but that government appointments are a matter for governments. The new board is to be headed in an acting capacity by its intended deputy, New South Wales Chief Scientist and Engineer, Professor Hugh Durant-White. And briefly overseas, the United States and the United Arab Emirates say they will work together on funding a decarbonisation of the economy. US climate envoy John Kerry has been in the UAE where he took part in Middle East and North Africa climate talks on Easter Sunday. A joint US and UAE statement released via UAE State News later said joint efforts will focus on renewable energy, hydrogen, industrial decarbonisation, carbon capture and storage, nature-based solutions as well as low-carbon urban design. Another statement was then released with official signatures from representatives of Bahrain, Egypt, Iraq, Kuwait, Qatar, Sudan and again the UAE and the United States pledging to accelerate climate action, mobilise investment in a new energy economy and help the world's most vulnerable cope with climate change. Mr Kerry is also due to visit the world's third biggest carbon emitting country, India, for similar talks. This week's announcement comes ahead of a summit of 40 world leaders due to happen later this month thanks to US President Joe Biden. Today's Eco News Stories was sourced from Community Newsroom, the Sydney Morning Herald and Reuters. I'm Marambe Campbell and Mia Armitage, Community Newsroom for Eco News. Thank you to the Community Newsroom for, uh, for sharing the, uh, the Eco News with us here on Environmental As Anything. And thank you for being with us today here. We've just heard a little bit about uh, local councils taking action to try to deal with the, uh, the threat posed by the recent uh, Koala SEP 2021. Uh, in that Eco News, uh, Councillor Kate Curry from Byron Council was mentioned as one of those uh, councillors who are taking action on this. And we are very uh, happy to have Kate on the line to talk us through what's been going on in Byron Council with regard to the, uh, the new koala killer SEP. Kate, can you hear me? I can indeed. Hey, Sean. No, no, thank you for joining us uh, on Environmental as Anything today. Pleasure to be here. Yay. Well, um, look, Kate, you've obviously uh, seen the threat posed by the, uh, the koala SEP and taken action. What, what, what is it that you've done in Byron Council there? Um, look, I just I moved a motion that basically um, it was a response to the, the koala state environment planning policy, um, which basically acknowledged, uh, basically expressed concern that... Um, for the future survival of koalas in New South Wales, um, not least because it actually overrides council's ability to protect koalas. Um, and we also, you know, in, in our own area, but also we all, uh, the concern for the future of koalas um, in so far as that, you know, most rural land will be exempt under this set yeah. um, in, in our area. And, uh, you know, the northern area probably still has more koalas than other places that have been more heavily cleared. Um, 
And it, the, the set basically allows to increase land clearing. Um, and we know already, you know, it increased by 60% in the three years since the state government had actually relaxed land clearing laws. Yep. Um, and, you know, similarly that, that um, you know, most koala pop- the population remain unprotected by what is called the koala protection set um, because their habitat's on private land and the set doesn't really, it doesn't include it. No. And, and, and it's, it's interesting to know that uh, Byron Bay is one of the few local councils that have actually had uh, their uh, coastal koala plan of management yep. uh, completed and, and passed, haven't they? Yeah, ours has been, um, a, 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 well, we, we've been told it's been finalised. So we've seen that finalised thing. Yes, it's okay. Bear in mind, it's been, it took us, uh, I think it's five or six years for that plan of management to be uh, signed off on. <laughs> a lot of work and a lot of lot of attention to detail and, and quite a bit of uh, resources spent on that, I understand. Uh, all of that. And then it just sat there and sat there and sat there. And... Look, bear in mind, this is a really small part of Byron Shire and, and a lot of these co- uh, koala plans and management that, that, that the handful that have been approved under this the, when the SEP was released um, are really small places um, in the scheme of things. So um, the Byron one stretches from the uh, Broken Head area, which is, you know, only just, just south of Byron Town, to Tiagra, which is just, you know, where the Bloomsfest site is, so which is just north of town, and it's along that... A fairly narrow coastal area, which is you know, um, and, you know, fragmented but largely sort of you know in national park and, and um, that sort of stuff. But it, that's a tiny fraction of Byron Shire, and that's a tiny fraction of habitat in an area that's under a lot of pressure. So, what's the impact now of this uh, new koala sep on on that plan of management? Do you think? Um, well, that plan of management is all is sort of like I suppose it sits as a kind of little island out. <laughs> I mean, you're better off being in a plan of management than being under the koala protection set if you want to protect koalas. Yeah, right. <laughs> so yeah, it's um, in a sense, you know, the koala the koala protection set is very poorly named um, mm-hmm. uh, because of the very little protection it gives under such things as the, the koala plan of you know the 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 capons, as we call them, the koala yep. plans of management, like the one in Byron, um, that's a you know a fraction of one percent of the, the entire koala ha- you know habitat of the of the state. I would imagine. I, I didn't even know how much it counts for. But also, they they talk about it being in developed areas. So I mean the, the, that it protects koalas koalas in developed areas. Well, not that many of them are living in developed areas. So you know, like. Oh come on, Kate! You see them. You see them down at the cafes, sipping on their lattes, oh, uh, planning to go and get an aromatherapy all the time, don't you? <laughs> Especially in Bowie. <laughs> and some of them are actually well-known influencers now, and they're going to be part of their own reality show. So there is that. You know, look, if, if being a koala is it enough, they can value it by being an influencer and, and, and that sort of thing. So yep. there's always that. But getting back to more serious things, yeah. <laughs> what we also. Um, I think, and I think your your news bulletin alluded to it. I think, forgive me, it was sort of coming in and out a bit. But um, the issue is the koala protection set only protects koalas in a certain area, and the rest is up, left up to um, the local land services act. Yeah. And local land services, in our experience, have never been. I mean, and sure, there are exceptions, but have never been particularly good at, provi- at protecting habitat. Yep. And in fact, the, you know, it's been a bit of a, uh, you know, in some places anyway, it's been a bit of a rule of thumb of like, well, the council won't let you do this. Why, you know, try see if you can get it done under the local land service because you can really go to town and plant land clearing if you do it that way. So, mm. you know. Um, and then, of course, we actually, you know, we asked uh, as part of the non-just in terms of in, um, 
in the context of, of, of months, sorry, I keep saying non notification for, for those of you at home who aren't, have, have got more of a life than listening to council speak. And uh, we ask that the minister actually restore our ability to collect, protect koala habitat. We know where it is. You know, we, don't, we shouldn't have to ask for an exception to... At the moment, if you're a landowner, you have to go directly to the minister to ask to protect koalas on your own land. Really? So you well, that's how it works. Yeah. Yeah. Any koala protection zones... Um, Really, if you, you, you're effectively going to be signed off. Any new environmental zones or, um, uh, will have to be signed off by the ministers. So, you know, if you, if you want to... <laughs> um, well, I mean, it doesn't make sense to protect koalas, you're protecting trees. But, of course, uh, one and the same thing, really, aren't they? Yeah, yeah so. they are. Without their trees, the koalas yeah. have got nothing. Yeah. So your your motion expresses grave concern for the future survival of koalas in New South Wales, and and particularly in the in that it, this this SEP overrides council's abilities to protect koala habitat. Mm. So how does it do that? What's what's it doing to override those uh, uh, council well, ability? It, it's pretty much the same thing. That basically, um, the minister's going to in, uh, um, in, basically is going to issue a, a section nine point one direction, which is uh, you know. The ministerial direction that basically ensures that only the minister and not councils will be empowered to rezone land use for um, that, that's currently primary reduction to an environment zone. So it sounds like sounds like a pretty serious undermining of the democratic principle of uh, separation of powers to me. Um, I don't know if it's separation of powers in that sense. I mean, it, it's just that it's it, it's just that it's this thing of like. You know, like these, these other, um, people voted for their local councils to, to do certain things, and amongst them would yeah. be to to, yeah. to to regulate this kind of stuff. It's just being taken away from the council; those powers are being removed, aren't they? Yeah. So, if you say, for example, you have a farm, right? It's, well, you have a property, and it's it's zoned primary production, or it's a rural zone, you know, one, two, and three, and there are different levels of how how rural they are and what's allowed on them. But nevertheless, rural zones, okay. And you go, I want to create a koala sanctuary. Um, I want to create, uh, I've, I've planted all these trees. I want this to be uh, an environmental zone now because I'm, I'm pretty committed to maintaining the population of koalas in New South Wales. Well, you, your council can't sign off on that. They can't do that anymore. You have to ask the permission, um, you know, through the, the minister um, to do that. Yes. Yeah. And if anyone's ever tried to to, uh, to actually get to the minister to ask them their permission for anything, they'll understand that's <laughs> quite a challenging proposition. Not that hasty in doing, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and, and so, so it's it, removing tree preservation orders and allowing yep. uh, logging across all existing environmental well, zones. There wasn't a lot in regards to tree preservation orders anyway. They're incredibly easy to override when they when they introduce the um, uh, you know like the one size fits all. Um, LEP, local environment plan um, legislation. I think it's under that legislation. I could be wrong. Mm. It's very hard to maintain a, a, a tree. You can, you know, it's very easy to get, much more easy to get rid of them than it is to hang on to them. Mm. Um, and unless you have a register of significant trees, you know, and, and you have to prove why a tree should be kept, <laughs> that's pretty nuts, really, isn't it? Um, I mean, we can laugh, but it's a tragedy. And, no, you've um, got to laugh, don't you? Because otherwise you'd yeah. cry. Yeah. But it does reduce those powers of the council to actually regulate, and 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 who would be in a better position to be able to make those decisions about local, uh, you know, yeah. uh, local such local level of environmental concern than than yeah. the council? I mean, it's it's hilarious that you know, I mean, you know, in, in a, I mean, there are probably councils where the, the, the constituents there want to actually um, have the right to you know to clear land, and 
you know, once upon a time, you think you'd have to go, can I, you'd have to go and ask, say, can I be allowed to destroy this, please? And here's my very good reason. Whereas now, it's like, <laughs> um, you have to justify why you, why you don't want to destroy it. Yeah. <laughs> why you don't want to clear land. It's just, you know, you know, it's nonsensical. I feel like I'm in kind of Trump land. Yeah. <laughs> That's terrifying. And so also you've further conveyed, uh, you know, council's concern for the future of koalas in New South yeah. Wales because, uh, you know, rural land's going to be exempt under the yeah. SEP. Uh, you know, the SEP allows for increased land clearing. Uh, yeah. It's already increased by 60% in the three years since this government's yeah. uh, relaxed. The 60% increase in land clearing. Is that right? I know. Yeah, well, that's according to, um, I think that came out of uh, the uh, parliamentary inquiry into um, koalas are worth protecting and, and that uh, there are, you know, that there isn't some, some other way of, you know, making money out of the site rather than just, just planting trees. Yeah. Um, and the narrow, you know, the nearsightedness of that is just in terms of, you know, the, the you know, our wildlife and, and, you know, the natural world is... is actually worth more, um, even at a dollar value, if you have to get that sort of base about it, you know. Well, you can quite easily because the uh, the economic studies are very, very clear. Yeah. Uh, we've uh, covered that here on the show. There was uh, oh. the Great Koala National Park Economic Survey. I don't know if you've been across that yet, but there's, uh, you know, they're talking about 9,800 jobs for the coughs and surrounding local government areas. Yeah. And, uh, you know, 9,800 jobs at the cost of maybe 750 jobs mm. out of mm. the timber industry so you know well well and truly uh, well and truly balanced towards saving the koalas as opposed to killing them and and Absolutely. 1.2 billion dollars uh, uptick in economic activity from saving the koalas in a great koala national park i spoke to uh, roberta ryan here on the show of uh, you know a, a month or so ago and she said that absolutely unequivocally that that would apply to any similar koala park that was established within the within the region so you know we, we all should be calling for uh, you know a koala led recovery in my opinion mm, absolutely yeah yeah well the thing is it's a true led recovery i mean if you don't have to it, i mean it, it it oughtn't be just in a sense about the koalas because there's so much other um so many other things living in those forests yeah. um and you know even i've just i actually this is the problem in this so far as you know you put forward a notice of motion like that to me it seems eminently reasonable to any reasonable person it seems eminently reasonable but then of course we're dealing with Politics. I mean, you talk. You know, we know that you know some of some of the people from Nisa, for example, have been going into the burnt forests and looking at what's there and the damage that's been done. Um, and you, you know, how how is it that you should even have to make a case for let's yeah. not log these forests anymore um, because it's clearly there's dead koalas and we've lost all this habitat? Like you know. Anyway, I, I'm. It does beggars belief, doesn't it? It, it leaves us speechless. But so, so what would you like the people of Byron Shire to do? How can they, can the Byron Shire can the pop, people of Byron and the local region do anything to help support the, this this motion that you've put through? Is this is this? Uh, look, only in so far as I think you know, uh, yeah, we have have generally Byron been um, fairly uh, good at community action. Um, I'd like to think that we could probably do a bit more of that and maybe, uh, you know, start letter writing. We ought to take the streets about this, but the whole of the bloody country ought to take the streets. And unfortunately, we weren't going to have a rally. Um, it bucketed rain. Yeah, so, the East Coast low intervened. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, so I think we 
I don't know. I'm, I'm a big fan of taking to the streets. If, if nothing else, it's a, a media opportunity for people to get out there and um, for the, the people to show their numbers. But, you know, writing letters is always good. Writing yep. to the planning minister, writing to... Um, uh, That's Rob Stokes. Minister. Yeah, Rob Stokes, Matt Keane. Um, I don't know, uh, maybe the Bar- Mr. Barilara. I can take out, you know, give him a call. And, and, you know, like, when I wrote to her to thank her because I think it's really important that there's people that take a stand also need to be um, uh, acknowledged and supported because it can be, it must be a pretty lonely business being, you know, um, standing up against your own party in Parliament. So I think if people felt that, um, you know, if politicians feel that they've actually got um, a community support behind them, Mm. does make it easier for, for them to do. That's right. It's hard to be the voice of reason in a, in a sea of madness, isn't it? But, yeah, um, and it is madness. It's just greed. And yeah. It's greedy. Can I just ask, in that, we, we, how did that go in terms of passing this bill through the Byron uh, Shire? Was there a, a strong support from councillors? Uh, was there any opposition? I, I, I think it was... A I think it was all but one voted in. Voted in voted. Oh, well, that's good to hear. That's good to, yeah. to know that the Byron Shire's on side in that yeah, regard. But, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, I, I, all counts. I mean, any anybody who lives in a, in a shire where they're, with the presence of koalas, you know, we really love them. You know what I mean? It's sort of actually not, you know, in in, in a way, the people I know in Byron Shire who, who keep out, watch out for koalas, feeling, you know, an intense and affection for them. So mm. that it, it, it's so dispiriting to think that people are willfully allowing them to die. Mm. So I think that, it, you know, quite often you can't engage people on issues around human rights, but you can around animals, you know. Yeah. Um, a sad fact of how people, you know, respond to things. But, but people do love their koalas, as you say. People are passionately committed and universally committed. Well, that's, I think that's probably a good uh, note to end uh, our conversation for today. Kate, we're going to have to move on yeah. for the lack of time. But, uh, oh, no, thank, that's fine. Thank you yeah. so much for your contribution. You, really, oh. that's a great insight into what's going on there in Byron Shire. Yeah, uh, and ho- hopefully I'll be sure that Chris Sherry moves up in Tweed and uh, we'd love to think that other shires will follow suit. I, th- I think there is quite a move afoot and we'll be talking to other councillors uh, on this this program in the coming weeks. Fabulous, yeah. And it, look, if nothing else, you know, even if you, you didn't care so much about the koalas, it's really bloody annoying when the state government takes away your plan So, you know, um, because it undermines the process. As you said. I mean, you said the democratic process, but I, I think certainly in the, in the context of um, people... Uh, you know, you get voted into into to government and then local government, and then they go, well, you can't do this and you can't do that. Next, we've decided to change this and that. Um, so, cool, you know, we here represented what we thought the people what we thought the people were wanting. So, yeah. You know. That's right. It's hard to do your job if you're constantly yeah. having the rug pulled out from underneath you. But anyway, you're, you're doing very good work there, Kate. I'm gonna have to let you go. Thank you so much. We'll talk again soon, hopefully. Total pleasure. I hope so, Sean. Good on you, Kate. Cheerio. Happy Saturday. Yes. Ciao. Thank- Ciao. That was Kate Curry, independent uh, councillor on the Byron Shire Council, who has uh, just recently had a motion passed through uh, the Byron Shire Council uh, to try to, in response to the uh, announcement of the Koala SEP 2021. And as she was saying, they're really important to the people of Byron Shire that our koalas are protected uh, in the face of what seems to be an ongoing assault uh, from the Berejiklian government. This is Environmental as Anything. Thanks for joining us.
Despite regulatory clampdowns and court actions overseas against the use of glyphosate, commonly known as Roundup in Australia, the federal government wants to weaken existing rules here. Courts in the United States and more recently in Australia have heard cases of people with terminal forms of cancer attributed to the use of Roundup and Bayer has paid out some $16 billion already to litigants. The chemical is said to cause chromosomal damage in human cells, cancer, kidney disease, infertility and nerve damage, yet Agriculture Minister David Littleproud last year said the chemical would still be used safely here. So what might the ramifications of weaker regulations be on people living in the Northern Rivers? BayFM's EcoFutures co-host Julie Beasley spoke with National Toxics Network member Joe Immig about her concerns. There's something very baffling going on in Australia with respect to pesticide regulation. <clears throat> this is not the only instance of where Australia is out of step with the rest of the world and recognising the science that's now uh, accumulated around so many of these pesticides that have been used for such a long time. So glyphosate is a very iconic chemical and it's unfortunately very much benefited from the idea that it's somehow a safe pesticide and of course anything that's designed to kill anything could really never be considered safe. What I'd say to David Littleproud is you really ought to look to the rest of the world and realise how backwards Australia is beginning to look, much like our position on coal and other energy issues. We're sort of backwards in the way that we are treating chemical regulation. And there are numerous chemicals actually allowed in agriculture in Australia that have long been banned in other countries. And another one that's been in the news recently is Paraquat, for instance. Tell us about the recent plan to relax Australian rules for chemicals and pesticides. What is so concerning about that for you and your organisation? Well, we've long been advocating for better regulation, for more regulation. It's a little bit like the Wild West in Australia when it comes to pesticides. So any idea that we might be winding back regulation and handing over the reins to the corporates behind these chemicals who've not shown themselves to be good citizens, corporate citizens, they've not shown themselves to be trustworthy or responsible. So it's incredibly alarming to think that our government would like to hand over the control of use and regulation of those chemicals to the very industry that makes them. I don't think it's going to be a good outcome for public health protection, the environment or even farmer health. There's been a proposal to relax the regulation of chemicals and pesticides in Australia saying they are totally at odds with public health and safety expectations. The first principles review by a panel of experts has recommended to the Agricultural Minister David Littleproud that many house chemicals and pesticides should be exempt from scrutiny by authorities and that approvals for agricultural chemicals should be fast-tracked if they have been licensed by similar authorities overseas. Your organisation, the National Toxic Network and Public Health Association, says that the draft report was a recipe for further deregulation that puts consumers at risk and undermines unrest. The National Toxics Network said the panel's mandate prioritised cost to industries over the environment and raised questions over the industry links of its chair, Ken Matthews. What are your concerns regarding Ken Matthews? Well, 
I don't want to labour that point too much, but he has previously been the chair of an industry organisation whose specific aim is to further the use of genetically modified organisms and the associated pesticides with them. That organisation represents probably 85 to 90% of pesticide manufacturers globally. So it's really a bit off when you develop an independent inquiry and then stick essentially a kind of industry spokesperson in charge of it. But to go back further than that, to be fair to Ken, the government did cast this inquiry in a way that was destined to have this result because it was a red tape reduction inquiry. It's a kind of known thing. The LMP has an ideology of getting rid of regulation, of handing the reins over to business, small government, and this is the agenda of the inquiry. The industry has long been lobbying for this. The industry would like to see us to not regulate pesticides at all and for it to be handed over to their quality assurance schemes. So one of the big pieces in this inquiry recommendation is to remove all of the pesticides that are available to you and I on the supermarket shelf, the sort of things you can pick up to use on your lawns or in your house, that they would no longer be regulated, that we leave those to the industry. And that anything that's already licensed overseas should actually just be able to be brought into Australia without any regulator in Australia having a look to see what it might do to our unique and fragile environment before it's allowed to be used here or given specific label instructions. So that's the big concern that we have is that in, if those two things succeed, we would effectively be entering a completely self-regulatory sort of environment where we basically just have to trust industry. And frankly, there's so many examples now where we just simply cannot trust industry at all with these dangerous poisons. What's the likelihood of this plan going ahead? Where are they at with it? The final report's due to government in May. We already know that the LNP is sympathetic to this ideology and approach, so I do have significant concerns that some part of it or other will go ahead. The interesting thing is, though, that there is a lot of backlash from different stakeholders. Even the farmers themselves are concerned. And I think some are waking up to the idea that it could really be a risk for Australian exports as well. If we suddenly have residues of chemicals in there that are no longer allowed in other countries, for example, it could be a trade problem. What are your main concerns when it comes to the use of these chemicals on our environment? Pesticides are designed to kill things. That's the bottom line, whether it's plants or insects or fungus. And the whole kind of premise behind them is that they're just meant to kill the things that they're meant to kill and nothing else. And I actually think that's been one of the greatest kind of lies that's been perpetrated because they're biocides. They kill many things. And it's because we've never really been looking thoroughly, well, the government hasn't been looking thoroughly to see the external damage that these chemicals are causing and I think there's a lot of talk in media now about the impact to pollinators we've got insect Armageddon going on, we really have a lot of waterways contaminated, we've got the Great Barrier Reef also at risk from the impacts of the runoff from sugarcane fields and dairy, it's Everywhere we look in the environment, there is de degradation from pesticide exposure. In terms of human health, very much linked to increasing rates of cancer, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, as mentioned, Parkinson's disease, birth defects, the list goes on. And it's incredible that such a blind eye is turned to the impact of these chemicals when you sort of 
weigh up other things that we do and our recent experience with the pandemic has shown us how important it is to respond but it baffles me that there's been so much evidence of harm from pesticides in the environment and to human health yet nothing happens. What are some of the the key local issues facing Northern Rivers residents over the use of these agricultural chemicals like aerial spraying for instance or people come here to do the the kind of ideological tree change and just tell us about some of those more local concerns and issues. So we live in a a mixed use region where we do have agriculture and the sort of early forms of that have involved you know intensive things like macadamia farming for instance and the blueberry industry for instance is slowly coming to town as well. These monocultural approaches to crops without a sort of organic mindset to the way you're going to go about agriculture will always necessitate the use of pesticides and I think people come here and they see the rolling green hills and they think it's idyllic and of course in many ways it is but that kind of intensive agriculture uses pesticides and they can drift in the air they can run off in you know we've just had this massive rain and flood event can you imagine all those paddocks that have been treated with chemicals and where do those chemicals end up they end up in our waterways the soil particles that they're attached to move off the uh, properties and into the waterways and onto other people's properties and we're exposed that way. Some years ago I did a rainwater tank testing um, when the macadamia industry were using endosulfan, a particularly nasty chemical that's now been banned globally, although Australia was one of the last to do it and dragged kicking and screaming. But uh, yeah, every rainwater tank I tested and I included my own as a control tank actually had this chemical in it and it was quite a shock you know I I knew it intellectually but to actually get the test results and see that you know we were drinking this chemical was quite shocking and you know I'm sure that there are many other chemicals that end up in our rainwater tanks as well and in our water catchment. National Toxics Network member Joe Imig speaking with Bay FM's Eco Futures co-host Julie Beasley. Just uh, a, a shocking uh, level of, uh, of toxics going into our uh, our environment and with with all being carefully greenwashed by the companies involved it's uh, uh it's been an ongoing problem for a long time but uh, good to hear that uh you know incisive report there uh from our local community media <laughs> And uh, from also from within our local community, uh, bumped into this morning at the uh, Saturday Lismore Farmers Markets uh, was uh, Miriam Tozillo and uh, Maggie Pistorius uh, from the uh, uh, Wage Peace Movement. Now, we've spoken to uh, Miriam here on the show previously. Maggie's down here for a meeting that they're having today. She's come out of Brisbane, I understand it, uh, meeting here in Lismore to help with the Disrupt Land Forces uh, uh, organising uh, principle. Uh, so, uh, well, without further ado, uh, Maggie and uh, Miriam, thanks for joining Environmental as Anything today. Good day, Sean. Welcome. And uh, so what is, what's Land Forces? What's going on uh, with, with, uh, in Brisbane that we need to disrupt? Well, it's a, it's a big arms expo with arms dealers coming together. We thought we might paint a picture of, you know, what's going on there because people are so shocked mm. uh, that there might be arms dealers in Brisbane. But we've, we do have a map of uh, almost a dozen. And, of course, they're only the tip of the iceberg. And these, these arms dealers are popping up in a suburb near you across the cities of Australia and the smaller cities too, the old working class cities. But, um, yeah, it's, an, it's a weapons dealing exhibition. So um, they're, 
there's maybe there's not going to be that many uh, people from overseas. You know, the Saudi Arabians, the Indonesians probably turn up. The Americans. There'll probably be maybe sixty. Uh, uh, delegations from overseas. There'll be the the prime minister and the defence minister. They'll all be there, and then all the big companies: Boeing, Lockheed Martin, Elbert. Uh, they'll all be there. But w- what I think is interesting is, you know, they're there really to divvy up the massive amount of money that's being doled out to the arms industries at the moment. There's thirty billion a year for ten years. Uh, that thirty billion appears just to be shifting from the public purse into the private purse. That's the idea of it, and um, you know they've been going at that for about three years now. So that's thirty billion a year for the last three years. They've that's, almost got more than you can imagine to give away. That is extraordinary. That's the federal government money you're saying is going into this. That's right, and and of course the state government, the Queensland state government, is a major sponsor. So they're also piling the money into because you know there's that business where the feds, the the, the business of state governments to see how much money they can get out of the feds, right? So <laughs> the, 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 it's like health or whatever. They, they try to position themselves so the money, as it pours out of the, st- of, of the federation, of the commonwealth, somehow the state government wants to be in the way to catch what they can. So, so they're there with the biggest stall. They're the major sponsors, the Queensland government, trying to catch as much of the federal money as they can. Mm. But the rest of them is about 260 arms dealers will be spread out in the four halls of the uh, Brisbane Convention Centre. If you can imagine them all with like a little stall each or a big stall, some of them will have a um, an armoured vehicle or a tank oh. uh, at the centrepiece of their stall. Probably five or six will have these armoured vehicles or tanks the right there in the middle. And then what they'll be doing is they'll be figuring out um, – what sort of deals they can make with each other to get more of the public money. You know, right. look, it's all about how much public money they can possibly get out of um, out of the current situation. Mm, mm. So $30 billion a year, I guess there's a fair bit of uh, room for elbowing each other for space there. Well, actually, they're very cooperative. Mm. You've got to think of them as being very cooperative so it's more like they're all negotiating, mm. you get this, we all get that, how about we work together on this? And the more cooperative they seem, the more government will pass the money over to them. And they've got sort of Christopher Pine, who, of course, used to be the Defence Minister and the Defence Industries Minister. He works for almost all of them. Well, maybe not oh, all 260. Really? Yep. Oh, extraordinary. So, so a federal minister goes on to work in uh, the industry that he was there regulating previously. Yes. What, a, what a convenient confluence of interest that is. Incredible, isn't yeah, it? And yeah. he's, you know, he took 18 months off just to be a general sort of advisor, but now he's moved straight into, for example, the munitions factory maker Meyer in Naya in um, in Brisbane. He's one of their chief advisors on their advisory board. Right. But they all have advisory board and he appears to be the chief advisor on all of their advisory boards. Wow. Right, it's great. It's, it's, it's great work if you can get it. Great work. If you, you set get. up the regulations and then you move into the corporations to teach them how to use the regulations yeah. to get what you want. And no doubt they were all very helpful in helping him to set up the regulations in the first place. Well, that's right. We like to remember that's a very good point, Sean, that they arranged the things in the first place. They are in the minister's offices. They are in the government offices. They're milling around in the halls of Parliament House. Who knows? They might be part of this sort of... Well, you know, the young fella that, that did the rape who's escaped to um, to Texas, he was in the defence minister's office, an uh, American, gone yeah. back to America. So these, these def- he very well could have been one of these um, people. Cause, yeah. uh, and so we, yes, yes, what more can I say? That's there. So we like to think of it as uh, speed dating on 
on steroids there, <laughs> and that they're all in there. What can we? What we can? What can we negotiate while we're here? Mm. So it really needs to be disrupted, and we're going after disrupt land forces. We want to disrupt it on the outside. We want to disrupt it on the inside. We want to disrupt it wherever we can, um, and we want you in the Northern Rivers, who we know are the marvels of disruption. <laughs> we want you up there. We want you. If you're listening to this show, we reckon you can bring a dance or a song or something really annoying to do in uh, South Brisbane. Well, we, something, we want in, you. something inspired and creative uh, that, that expresses our, our region's uh, strong uh, and abiding commitment to peace and justice. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I can see why you'd want uh, the Northern Rivers uh, involved in that. Yeah. So definitely a good thing. Well, I'm glad that you're here. So when, when I say, you know, when you say we, uh, who, who is, who is uh, you know, the make peace? It's, a, it's, a, it's been a new thing for me this year to have learned Wage peace. Wage, Wage peace. peace. Sorry. Not Wage peace. Well, we're just a small, um, you know, the, the, basically the peace movements, you know, rising out of the ashes of the 1980s, you know, I think we got smashed somewhere back there when... Uh, Labor came to power and everyone went, oh, thank God, Labor's in power. We don't have to do anything else for the next 30 years. <laughs> well, it wasn't true. You know, actually, the, the, as we've just said, the corporations were in the, were in the offices of the Labor Party and um, they were working both sides of the floor. So mm-hmm. it's become a bipartisan business um, and while, the, while everyone was sleeping or out on their mushroom farms, the... Uh, the um, the military industries are back, and yeah. they're back with a you know they're taking a lot of money from the co- co- the common purse. And I do want to say this is environmental as anything, right? Yeah. So this is an environment show, right? Absolutely. So we like to be very clear about what the environmental uh, impact of military industries are because it's not exactly what you would think. Oh. Um, and one of the things that we notice is um, it's not so much about the carbon footprint which they have an enormous one of, or it's not so much about the um, uh, pesticides and, the, well, the, you know, the, the chemicals they use everywhere, which is really, really harmful, right? Yep, yep. The problem is actually that they are spearheading the extractivism. Mm. If anybody resists the extractivism, they send in the army. And, and we're, we're watching West Papua on this very closely and I know a lot of you your listeners will be watching what's happening in West Papua, right? Yes, indeed. I would expect so. And West Papua is, is obviously a, a, an area of huge uh, colonial in, incursion uh, from the Indo- Indonesian state, mm. has been for, for well, most of my life. That's right. And that's all because it has this immense um, material and mineral wealth. And so you've got the biggest copper mine in the world, biggest gold and copper mine, but now they're going after more and more um, of it. And so they're deforesting very quickly. They're militarising all the little provinces as quickly as they can. They're pushing in their sort of the spearhead of their military state. And what people are resisting. There's the biggest non-violence resistance there in the whole region apart from these sorts of um, these democracy movements you get in Myanmar and Thailand. But apart from those, the long-term resistance in West Papua is enormous and they are resisting this extractivism. They're resisting the ruinations of their forests. They're, they're, they're resisting the, uh, the palm plantations. They're saying no to the militarisation. At the moment, the Indonesian military over the last year have introduced um, several new battalions into the um, West Papuans um, provinces and they're um, ordering sort of the opening of new mines. And so this is the this is the pointy head of militarism where it enforces extractivism. You know, we saw this in Australia 
um, in the 1800s um, and we've seen it roll out across First Nations country mm. ever since. And you have a good, good, good expectation or a strong expectation that you'll see the Indonesians uh, well represented there at Land Forces in Brisbane. Definitely. So Ryan Matal is one of the um, uh, Antalas are, are, are sponsors and have big uh, showings there. Ryan Matal itself is already in Indonesia and they have been entrusted by the Australian government with um, uh, exporting as much as they possibly can from their new factory in Brisbane uh, to Indonesia. And we assume that they will be using all all their current uh, existing uh, channels and infrastructure and um, uh, scaffolding to get as much of the new Australian equipment into Indonesia. And we can see that happening already. And it's not just ammunition, it's not just tanks, but it's munitions, it's shells, it's uh, weaponry, uh, weapon systems. These things are going in through Talas, from Rheinmetall. Boeing is selling into Indonesia right now. They're selling attack helicopters, um, they're selling jets, they're using Australian um, heavy lifters to shift the military into West Papua. Indonesian is at is our case study. West Papua is our people. We're going to have West Papuans coming and dancing. We want new Northern Rivers people come. Come tonight to um, Sea Space, 23 Newbridge Street, uh-huh. uh, South, South Lismore, and we can talk to you about how you can support uh, First Nations West Papuans in their struggle against this militarism because they are really um, standing up themselves, but they need our support because uh, we, uh, uh, as part of the Australian state uh, at the moment, trying to arm their uh, oppressors. Absolutely. Well, that's a, that's a great opportunity for uh, the people of Lismore to get together and have a, you know, a cross-cultural uh, experience as well as doing something to help uh, make the world a more peaceful and just place. We I'm know sure you like to dance. If you like yeah. to dance, get yourself down to Sea sp- Space at 5.30 uh, tonight, uh, this afternoon. Uh, that's uh, 23 Newbridge Street. Um, uh, just in, uh, in East Lismore, isn't South it? South Lismore. South Lismore. Just over. Not Just not far here. from here. And Miriam will be organising in uh, Lismore. And so if you can't make it tonight, make make contact with – she's our local organiser and uh, she'll be helping a whole crew to get up there because we know that you are the queens and kings of resistance. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> That's Pretty right. Much. So uh, where should people get in touch with uh, with you or with the with the uh, the movement in general? Should where should they contact you, Miriam, uh, or should they just go through the website? Or is they there can a go Facebook through the page? website. They can contact me. They can go through the website. They can contact me via FB Facebook. Um, and tonight we'll be taking down names as well and 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 and, and deets on that. Um, so they can contact me on Facebook, Mim T. M-I-M-T-E-E, uh, or via the, uh, the, the website which you might read out. Disruptlandforces.org. Yep. And you can contact me on I'm Margie Pastorius on Facebook. We've got um, systems, of course, of communicating and we can get vouched for, so yep. using Telegram and Signal. Um, you know that you guys know the drill. Yep. Give us a call and we'll, um, we'll find a, a special yep. role for you. Fantastic. And, and join Red, you orange those. and green. Yeah, get, get you onto the channels and so we can... Um, Start organising. Start working towards some uh, some 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 peaceful some, outcomes. Some and serious to, disruption. I think, you, as you say, <laughs> people are, are disturbed and alarmed to find out that there's these mm. dealers of death, uh, you know, lurking around in the suburbs. That's right. And uh, you know, everybody, I think, wants to get something done about that. Look, thank you very much for both of you coming in here. You're a pair of powerhouses. We really appreciate uh, you know people getting in and doing taking action the way that you have been and uh, letting us all know about it. So uh, thanks for joining Environmentalists Anything today. Thanks, No worries. All right.
yes, that was uh, Miriam and Margie from uh, Wage Peace talking about the Disrupt Land Forces action, which is planned for Brisbane on June 1st to 3rd this year, but uh, more immediately today in uh, Sea Space in uh, South Lismore at 5.30. Come along and join uh, the, the, uh, the, the fun where there'll be some West Papuans talking about what's going on there with their, their, and some dancers, etc. It should be great. Okay, so this is Environmental As Anything. The global trend towards decarbonisation reached a milestone last month with the announcement that half of Europe's 324 coal-fired power stations have now either closed or announced a Paris Agreement compatible pre-2030 closure date. But here in Australia, less than 20% of the coal-fired electricity generation market has closed since 2011, and only four of our 19 remaining coal-fired power stations are expected to close by 2030. For more insight, Bay FM Make a Change host and reporter Dion Green spoke with CEO of Greenpeace Australia Pacific and spokesperson for the Australia Beyond Coal Alliance, David Ritter. For many years, communities and campaigners have been trying to get European countries to drop coal power. All those efforts became formalised into the Europe Beyond Coal campaign that was launched in 2017. And we've now reached this halfway point and there were 70 coal closures in Europe last year alone. That's 162 of Europe's 324 operational or planned coal plants. So we really are seeing the kind of progress that we need in Europe to keep to the Paris climate goals. But then we come to Australia and in Australia we need to see the closure of all of our coal burning power plants by 2030 at the latest and we do not have those plans in place unfortunately. We have timelines for coal burning power stations in Australia extending out up to almost halfway through the century and it is simply incompatible with reining in climate change. We have just over 20 of these coal burning power stations. We know that they are responsible for hundreds of Australians dying every year from the invisible airborne particulates from those coal burning power stations. We know that there are a litany of environmental breaches of of licence conditions every year on these coal burning power stations. And we know that they need to close by 2030 to be consistent with the science and that the best way in which to do that is with supportive transitional arrangements in place to make sure that affected workers and communities are taken care of and and not left behind. All of these things (laughs) need to happen. And, uh, yeah, Australia needs to pick up the kind of momentum that that is now very clearly there in Europe with this milestone they've reached. We have this contrast between a national government that has no credible plan for reducing emissions, for transferring off coal burning power stations, to reining in the export of fossil fuels. And fossil fuel companies like AGL, which alone is responsible for 8% of Australia's carbon emissions, as well as the significantly largest proportion of the range of other pollution impacts, 
And so you contrast that with what's happening at a state level where there are renewable energy targets, where there are renewable energy zones that are being committed to, where there really is a race to the top in terms of clean energy uptake. And also what is happening in the corporate world where we see blue chip household name businesses like Bunnings, Coles, Woolworths, Aldi, Officeworks, Coca-Cola, Amatil, Mars, to name just a few, um, Telstra is another one, that have themselves committed to buying no electricity from dirty fossil fuel sources, including coal, by 2025 or earlier. If we just look at the, the three big retailers in Australia, there's a reason to celebrate. Aldi have committed to going 100% clean electricity by the end of 2021. Woolworths have committed to going 100% clean electricity by 2025 and Woolworths moving is the equivalent of 1% of the national electricity market in Australia. Just as most recently we've seen Coles move and Coles moves a similar amount of the national electricity market. So Woolworths and Coles together, you're talking 2% of the national electricity market. You're talking very significant numbers of jobs. There are still plenty of things one might raise about these companies, whether it's in relation to single-use plastics or whatever it might be, but credit where credit is due, all of these businesses have come out with the kind of ambitious commitment to only using clean power electricity that is what we need. <laughs> it's exactly the kind of leadership we need. So take the most recent of the announcements, Coles, who have got a company call for together to zero, including the clean electricity by 2025, and compare that to a federal government, which has seemed very happy to continue to reward the fossil fuel industry to play politics with bushfire relief, to punish some sections of society during COVID and has no credible plan to reducing emissions. And you, you, you look at that contrast and it's hard not to be just appalled by the difference. We deserve better political leadership in Australia. That was CEO of Greenpeace Australia Pacific and spokesperson for the Australia Beyond Coal Alliance, David Ritter, speaking with the host of Bay FM's Make a Change show, Dion Green. And speaking of sunshine, we have Naomi Shine on the line, ready to radiate some light onto the topic of the week to come, the events and actions happening here uh, in the Northern Rivers uh, for us to get engaged with for the environment. Naomi, can you hear me? Yes, hello, Sean. Thank you for being with us again today. Oh, beautiful day, beautiful day. I've been out most of um, the morning and afternoon at the Black Lives Matters um, death in, Black Deaths in Custody Royal Commission anniversary. Right. So that was great. We had a good turnout. We were Everyone was crowded into the shade listening to the speakers and um, it was a really, really good day out. We um, did a march up to the courthouse and spoke uh, had speakers on the steps there with the megaphone. Um, so we had a really good day out. Fantastic. Yeah, look, it's, uh, it, it is a beautiful day to be out there um, calling for justice for us all. Yes, yes. Well done. So uh, what's going on this week with the uh, Lismore Environment Centre? Any uh, news here on the, just in, in the centre? Uh, 
we are carrying on. There's no more coronavirus restrictions, so we don't have to have um, our calculated persons per square metre or anything. All restrictions are on hold at the moment. What a relief. So, yeah. Come on down and breathe the air. <laughs> <laughs> it should be safe, they reckon. Indeed. Indeed. As safe as it can be. Yeah. Yeah. And we've just got our normal rainforest books and uh, rainforest restoration books and rainforest essays. Um, we've got a whole selection of great publications there. And um, local honey, locally made cleaning products made in South Lismore. Um, yeah, just all a range of usual stuff. Fantastic. And, of course, your local volunteers working hard to, uh, to help everybody with their transport needs and uh, their environmental concerns. That's right, yes. Yep, we're handing out bus timetables, giving out maps to walk around the town. Yep, um, and talking about anything, uh, you know, local campaigns. Great. Awesome. So what's coming up this week? I know you keep your eye uh, closer uh, on these things than me. What's, 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 what have we got to look forward to this week? Well, tonight, after the radio show ends, head down to the public meeting. I missed the end of the talk with um, Mim and um, Margie, was it? Yes, Margie Pastoris. Yes. She, uh, she mentioned the talk tonight? She did. They mentioned that it's on at Sea Space at 530 5.30. Great. We'll head on over to Six Space. I'll be there and we'll talk about waging peace and disrupting land forces. Fantastic. Mm. Yes, they were inspiring. Uh, the, the, the getting getting the, the, the peace activism out there in the community again. As Margie said, you know there was a bit of a, 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 a dearth of a bit of a, a, a bit of a dry spell after the uh, the eighties. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, what else have we got going on in in our well, beautiful city? There was a koala tree planting that I mentioned last week in Cedar Point. Uh, it's been cancelled. They haven't said why they've cancelled it. It could be a weather thing. They mm. might be. Uh, it could be that it's quite boggy down there. But never fear. If they put it back up with a new time, I'll let you know. But there is a new. I found a new other uh, koala tree planting day. Swift Road Coffee Camp on the twentieth of April, starting at nine a.m. So that's up in our event list if you're desperate to plant trees. Right. And we can't do it uh, this week. We'll, we'll try again next week. Oh, okay. Coffee camp. Yeah, coffee camp. Okay. Yeah. And you'll uh, find the details there on the Environmentalist Anything Facebook page. Yes, absolutely. As always. Well, as always. Hmm. Um, and as for live, there's uh, uh, yeah, so we some really great online events this week. So there's one about donut economics um, from an Extinction Rebellion group in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's one... Uh, well, tell me more about that. I'm interested in, in donut economics. What's um, What kind of event is that? It's a free online event, Let Donut Economics Change Your World, oh. by um, Dorking Climate Emergency, inspirational webinar with the incredible dynamic Kate Raworth, and she explains clearly and visually, visually how donut economics is changing the world. Oh, and how, and how, um, what, when, when and when? Uh, April, Saturday, April the 10th, so that's tonight, 7pm to 9pm oh. tonight. And I don't know how, because it's from the UK, but it seems to match our time all right. Oh, okay, well, good. Yeah. Yeah, so there's that one. And then there's a really obscure one at 8pm tonight, um, uh, hanging out with our flying foxes. So it's a, a flying fox sanctuary or a wildlife sanctuary in the US 
Um, and they're going to film their, uh, you know, live stream their flying foxes um, and their uh, uh, at 8pm, uh, which is um, obviously time that they can film their foxes and it will be 8pm in Australia. So they've, um, I don't know, they just want to hang out with the flying foxes <laughs> and showing you on Facebook Live for $5 or $4.49 and it's to raise money for the sanctuary. Oh, fantastic, fantastic. I just did a bit of mental arithmetic on the previous event you were talking about. At, at 7pm tonight, it'll be 9am in London. Oh, well, then that all makes sense. Makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Anyway. So, yeah, why not? Um, now, we had the great um, Black Deaths in Custody event today in Lismore. There's a, 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 a free online event on Monday at 6pm, a webinar, Stop Black Deaths in Custody webinar. Conversation with families, the so families who've lost um, Aboriginal people to death in custody. Mm. Um, so that that's a really good follow up to um, the national event that our Lismore event is part of. Yes. Yeah. So. So important. Get along to that one. Mm. Mm. That's on Monday, and then another great online event on Wednesday. Um, one of my favourite topics: making ecocide a crime. Yes. Can update with Jodo Meter and this is the Australian Earth Laws Alliance um, mob. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, long, I mean like it is something we've uh, covered a bit on the show Ecoside uh, as a criminal uh, uh, statute a uh, very very important uh, bit of progress we need to make. Yes absolutely yeah. So that's Monday night. I know that Monday's the uh, Black Death in Custody Sorry. one this is Wednesday, Wednesday. 7.30pm. So you've got time to jump onto Facebook, um, book your ticket, uh, your free online ticket. They just need to send you a, a Zoom link to your email to mm. make sure it's um, safe and private for everyone to join the Zoom talk. Great. Yay. Yay. Yes. Um, and then uh, well, there is an in-person event um, next weekend, uh, April the 16th. Um, till April the 18th, Permaculture in Action for Women. And that's up in the border there, White Swamp Road, Kareela, New South Wales. Uh, and it's a place called Peace Valley, Australian Bush Retreat. And it's open to women. And um, there'll be a lovely bush camping area, um, alcohol, cigarette and drug-free zone, vegetarian and vegan food. Um, and obviously, you know, that's a good idea when you're growing the food, you you know, uh, garden-to-plate type thing. Yes. So, um, yes, that sounds like a lovely um, event to get along to if you're a woman and if you love to do some more permaculture in company. Yes, indeed. Well, why wouldn't you? Yeah. yeah. What could be nicer? Mm, I know, I know. I love a bit of permaculture myself, as you know. <laughs> indeed. <laughs> So I was looking at um, the, uh, what's it called, the Nimbin Good Times this week, and um, Seven Sibley Street, Nimbin Sustainable Living Hub, have um, uh, in-person live events and workshops um, all the time, all month. So um, because it's a monthly rag, I've got April what's on here in front of me. So this week coming up is Building with Cobb. All the workshops start at 10.30am up there in Nimbin on Seven Sibley Street. And um, it's a hands-on for kids, a school holidays event there. So what a lovely thing to do. With cobs, basically mud and straw, I think. So yes. that's ideal for kids. <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome. Kids yeah. love building out of cob. Don't need a lot of training or, or encouragement to do that. No, no. <laughs> and other workshops they've got on, um, knitting and crochet, um, 
Tuesday the week after. Uh, Saturday the 24th, weed block making. Turn lantana and woody weeds into buildings. $25 bookings essential. There's a basket weaving one. And, and next Saturday, a week from now, they've got hemp farming. Visit a licensed hemp farm for seed, oil and fibre. So um, bookings essential, carpooling, leaving 7 Sibley Street at 10am. So um, they have a, a phone number and they have a Facebook page. And uh, I really reckon it's it's great. It's been going for over a year or two now. I, I lose track of time, but um, <laughs> I'm really impressed with uh, 7 Sibley Street. It's another amazing um, community venture that uh, Nimbin, the Nimbin community has put together with their lovely neighbourhood community centre and, um, all, you know, all the things that they do up in Nimbin that are very humanitarian, very caring, very sustainable and, you know, really um, showing the way in lots of ways of uh, getting community together to do great things like basket weaving and cob building and uh, weed block making. Weed block making. Love it. How great. You turn Lantana into housing. Who'd yeah. have thought? Yeah. Magic. Absolute magic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's um, what I've got in terms of events. There's a really hot article getting round um, that I've seen several times come up, and so I thought I'd talk about that. It's um, oh, an ABC News web article about um, uh, a property that Bill Mollison uh, uh, taught from for many years, luckily. Yeah. His original permaculture farm to join others in a huge New South Wales, Queensland, Koala Corridor. Um, the farm was once owned by Bill Morrison, and it will join a growing movement which is setting aside land for permanent safe koala corridor from northern New South Wales to the Queensland border. So Bangalore koalas met, uh, Linda Sparrow from Bangalore koalas met with the current owner, retired vet John Quayle, to team up um, to plant more than 4,000 trees on the 67 hectare property near Tyalgum, Tyalgum wow. at wow. the bank of the Pinnacle. And there's a beautiful photo of... Um, John Quayle standing on his property um, and you can just see the pinnacle right up there behind him in the background. It's beautiful. Oh, lovely. Yes. Um, so since last time's devastating bushfires, Mr Barrow from Mango Koalas said there's a huge surge in farmers wanting to create wildlife corridors on their land. Experts estimate that at least 30,000 koalas across Australia died in the fires. Oh. It's actually the farmers that are coming to us, Mr Barrow says. Yep. Um, getting more and more farmers that want to plant out on their property. Yeah. Role reversal. Many want to join the corridor and make a difference. Of course. Um, yeah. And no. from February to September last year, Bangalore koalas planted nearly 54,000 trees. And focusing on koala trees, they're big trees and they have to be planted quite spaced apart. So it's really good news. Isn't that fantastic? Yeah. And yeah. so the community is united. Uh, there's no confusion in the community, as I was saying to uh, a journalist the other day. There's no confusion about uh, the desire and the, and the commitment to protecting our koala's uh, habitat. That's, that's mm. uh, very clear, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, so Bangalore Koala successfully applied for a federal government bushfire recovery grant to um, plant 10 hectares, uh, a 10-hectare koala zone on Mr Quayle's property mm. and more on the neighbouring property. The group has now planted trees in every shire in northern New South Wales. Wow. Yeah. Good on them. Branching out the Bangalore Koalas. They really have got a real go-getter attitude. Haven't they? Yeah. Mm. Mm. It takes a lot of work to get those grants. Yep. Um, and, to, you know, they have to, you have to be really purposeful and really dedicated and it's all volunteer work. So that's really magic. It's just going so well. Yay. Yeah. 
So uh, lots going on, lots going on in the Northern Rivers, people doing so much uh, for the environment, people so uh, so excited and, and committed to, to make, doing whatever they can, I think, is, is the bottom line, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, there's an article in the media news from NIFA at Darlam who put together that's um, a bit more concerning and people trying to interfere with nature. Um, the continuing rise of super koalas. Have you heard of this? No, no, I did only just uh, just see that headline. The continuing rise of super koalas. It's a, yeah. it, it's a, it looks a bit, it looks t- slightly scary, maybe a bit inspiring. I mean, are the super koalas uh, super superheroes or super villains? That's what I want to know. <laughs> yes. Well, by breeding, um, Kangaroo Island's got chlamydia-free but inbred koalas, and they have a disease called oxalate nephrosis. Nephrosis tends to be kidney disease. Oh with a group of more genetically diverse males from Victoria. So there's an intent to replace um, sick and declining northern varieties, like our our local ones are really having a hard time of dying out from chlamydia and and car strike and loss of habitat. Um, We will wind up with koalas that not only are free of infectious disease, but are also free of oxalate nephrosis, which in case... In which case, you've got the healthiest, most robust, most resilient koalas you can possibly have. A master race. Yes, and the problem with that is um, when I've talked to ecologists about uh, locating, relocating koalas, so if you've got um, good koala habitat but you want to uh, develop it and you uh, move the koalas, um, they you ha- and you have to move them to somewhere with no koalas, uh, and then they tend to, if they're not genetically from the area, mm. they, they tend to be less in balance, so they will have a a boom and bust situation where you take koalas to a new area and it sounds like these super koalas would be like that. You take them to a new area, they just eat everything in sight and then they breed like crazy and then they run out of food and mm. die, and their population crashes and then they gradually build up again. Whereas koalas, when they are um, genetically endemic to an area, they don't go through the boom and bust cycles. Now, we don't know why, right. not, you know, but introduced koalas tend to boom and bust yeah. Whereas um, genetically uh, endemic koalas don't. So, you know. My understanding is that koalas are quite uh, quite territorial too. I'm mean, certainly from living in the bush and hearing them, uh, you know, yeah. battling each other for for well for for partners. I suppose they sound they sound like they're fighting quite viciously at sometimes. I've certainly heard people say that they're they're quite uh, robust in their disputes with each other. I wouldn't want to be a stray koala wandering into the midst of that, would you? No, no, you wouldn't. No. <laughs> that might be a mechanism by which they, um, endemic koalas uh, are more stable, mm. for sure, by that strong territorial thing, whereas when they're all new and they're all fighting for the same territory, they just spread out everywhere. I don't know. Mm. No. Oh, okay. Something has to be done. I mean, I think everything that's possible has to be done, as long as it's not a distraction from the main game, which is to protect uh, their habitat, the forests, which need to be, uh, you know, prevented from being cleared and uh, stop stop from being logged and uh, allowed to uh, to regenerate and become healthy again. Absolutely. Yeah. Crucial. For well, the there's no uh, no number of uh, you know uh, breeding programs or, uh, or or koala hospitals that will save them if their forests are actually gone. That's right. Mm. Absolutely right. Mm. So good that people are getting on board and planting lots of trees. Absolutely. But we have um, standing native forests that could be um, preserved for koalas for sure.
Yeah, that's right. A, a planted tree might take 30 years before it's really useful to a koala. That's the, it's the existing trees out there that are essential for their survival in the meantime, isn't it? I've seen uh, local landholders plant koala trees because they're within the koala corridor in Gunsarimba, part of that Skyline Road koala corridor, and they've got young koala trees there, and the koalas come along and go, beauty, a tree, and they, they bend over the baby tree, they eat it down, and they have to actually literally cage a tree in <laughs> to save its life because the koalas are so hungry for fence, the tree. Fence the koalas out of the koala trees. Yes. That does demonstrate some desperation on their part, doesn't it, to, to find any kind of uh, source of, of fresh food. Yeah. That's uh, shocking. Well, um, I've been enjoying the sunshine, but also the rain, because that long period of on and off rain mm. has created puddles out the front that have frogs, um, definitely frog tadpoles and water snails, and I'm gradually rescuing them from the shrinking puddles and from where people drive through the puddles at the front. So I've got two little ponds because I've been owned. They're definitely not toads. No. And I'm very excited because I always love raising tadpoles and watching the little frogs hop off into the world. So. It is a very exciting pastime, isn't it, to raise frogs? <laughs> I, I think uh, too, far too few people have taken that up. There's a great deal of pleasure to watch a tadpole raise itself out of the water and then disappear off into the world and then listen for the years to come to the to the sound of them croaking and creaking in the in the backyard and around in the, in the waterways around the, the place it's it's a it's a wonderful wonderful thing what good on you for yeah. take for, for looking after your local habitat that's right I just can't help myself when I see tadpoles and see that they might be crushed by local cars I'm like no I'm going to save them. <laughs> yes, people are so, you know, thoughtless in some ways, aren't we? We tend to sort of just, just thoughtlessly go, oh, we'll just park in that mud puddle, whatever. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, some, some, some little things, some little water uh, uh, re- requiring creature is uh, probably living right there. Yes, yep. Oh, good. I hope those, uh, those tadpoles will uh, go on, spread and, and prosper around, uh, around Lismore. No, go for it. Yeah. Especially in the wet weather. This is their weather. They love it. It's been good weather for frogs, that's for sure. Definitely frog weather. <laughs> Rightio. Well, uh, it sounds like you might be ready just about to wrap up with the events for the week. Yes, yeah. Well, get along to our Facebook page, have a look at the great online events. And um, I might see you tonight at the uh, Wage Peace uh, Disrupt Land Forces. Sounds good. Sounds sounds good. Well, uh, thank you so much, Naomi, for shining a bit of light on uh, on our week ahead. Well, thank you very much, Sean. Great show. Thanks a lot. No worries. Uh, talk again next week. Okay. Bye now. Bye. That was Naomi Shine from the Lismore Environment Centre, shining a light for us all to follow uh, into the future. Well, at least for the next week, and. Uh, as always, uh, giving us uh, giving us the, the the good news and the bad uh, fearlessly. Well, uh, and that's just about it for us. It's four minutes to five here on Environmental as Anything. Uh, thank you very much for joining me today. I'm Sean O'Shaughnessy. Uh, it has been a real pleasure to have your company. Uh, thank you for your requests. Uh, thank you for those of you who were able to uh, alert me to the fact that our transmission was at fault. I could have gone on all day not knowing what was going on out there in the world. So thanks for the feedback, the phone calls, the messages. 
really appreciate uh, all of your support and uh, and attention. And I hope that uh, it's been of use for you to uh, get yourself prepared to face the challenges for the planet Earth uh, over the next week or so. We will be back again next Saturday, as always, between 2 and 5. Tune in in the meantime to our podcast. Wherever you find good podcasts, search for Environmental As Anything. We'll be there. And you can also check out our Facebook page and leave us a message um, or, you know, like let us know about uh, whatever events you have got coming up. And uh, we might even get uh, somebody on the show from your group to help to publicise what's going on so that the rest of the world can hear about it as well. So uh, until we meet again in a week's time, please be gentle with yourself, be kind to each other, and remember, we are all in this together. Now to take us out with his new track called Sleep Australia Sleep. He's an Aussie icon joined by Alice Keith and Simon Nugent. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr Paul Kelly. Australia sleep, the night is on the creek. Shut out the noise all around. Sleep Australia sleep, and dream of counting sheep. Jumping in fields colored brown. Are you looking for the courage to face the hard facts about our environmental crises? 
Do you want honest reporting on the global solutions that are at our fingertips? Would you like to know what simple, effective local actions you can take to make a positive difference to the state of the world today? Tune in to Environmental As Anything on 92.9 River FM every Saturday from 2 to 5 for all the news, interviews and analysis you need to make the future you want. For the future, where